0: Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I'm so excited to be back in the studio with you this morning. I'm in the studio with a special guest this morning. My name is Kara. I'm four. I'm so glad Kara's in the studio with us today. She's my beautiful daughter. My voice is almost back to normal. It's been about three weeks of having a really hoarse voice. I bet you remember going back about three weeks ago when we interviewed Dr. Craig Evans. I was barely getting it out, and I'm glad to finally be back close to normal. I did do the replay last week because my voice was so bad, and we were traveling, and it would have been really hard to have gotten it done. But uh, specifically, my voice was just so bad I couldn't do the show. So I'm glad it's coming back. Get ready for a great show today. We're going to be talking about something that will be very, very encouraging, I believe. We're going to talk about Jesus in his own words. It'll be exciting. But before we get to that, I just want to let you know about next week. Next week, we'll be having Dr. Norm Geisler, who is one of the most prolific Christian apologists of the past century. He's written over 90 books. He's started numerous schools he is an incredible incredible guy and i know you're going to love getting to hear from him he'll be joined with jason jimenez who's been on the show before they just co-authored a book together we'll be talking to them about that next week it's going to be an incredible show so don't miss it for anything anyway like i said today we're going to get to one of the most important things i could ever imagine talking about it's often been said that the most important thing in life is how you respond to Jesus. The most important question you'll ever answer is who is Jesus and how does it relate to me? Well, Jesus describes for us in his very own words who he is. A lot of times you'll have opinions about someone not based in their own words but based on what others have said about them and it is easy to have the wrong impression of someone if we're not going right back to their own words about themselves, I've often asked students on campus, who do you think Jesus is? And you would not believe the answers that I've heard. Probably the most bizarre was once a young man told me, Jesus is my guitar. Interesting. I think Jesus is far more than that. But again, if we really want to know who Jesus is, we have to go straight to the source, to Jesus himself, to see who he says he is with his own words. So I thought today we'd take a little bit of a pause and reflect and think about who Jesus is from his own perspective. So Jesus in his own words. In scripture, Jesus makes 10 I am statements. In other words, if I were to ask you, who are you? You'd probably say, I am so-and-so, I am this, I am that, something like that. Well, Jesus did just that for us. He gave us 10 things that he said, I am X, Y, Z, 10 different things. And those 10 different things that he claimed defined him are very, very, very informative about who he is. They reveal to us his very nature. So as we look at these 10 I am statements of Jesus found in the New Testament, I hope that you'll be listening and coming to know Jesus in a new way. And that you'll be hearing from him exactly who he says he is not what somebody else thinks he is or what somebody else says he is but actually what jesus himself says he is so let's get right into it there are 10 different things in scripture that jesus defines himself as he says i am this i am that let's get right to it in john eight fifty eight, jesus says i am now when he says i am it might be easy to just hear that statement and not know what he's really talking about. He says, before Abraham was, I am. He didn't say, before Abraham was, I have been. He says, before Abraham was, I am. He was actually referencing God Almighty's revelation to Moses when Moses said, whom shall I say sent me? God said in the burning bush, say I am that I am sent to you. God referred to himself as, I am. So Jesus, when he's put on the spot by the religious leaders of the time, they say, who are you? He says, before Abraham was, I am. He didn't say, I have been, he said, I am. He made a clear distinction, defining himself with the same name that God in the Old Testament defined himself as, I am. We see in this very statement that Jesus makes himself equal with God. He says, I am. Indicating to the Jews of that time that he was God Almighty in human flesh. Just like the Gospel of Matthew tells us in the first chapter. Just like the Gospel of John tells us in the first chapter. He's God in human flesh. He tells us that in John eight fifty eight, And we know that's not a misread of that statement. Because instantly, the authorities tried to stone him for blasphemy. They knew he was claiming to be God in that statement. And they tried to kill him for it. He snuck away. And was able to escape without being stoned to death at that time he knew that he had to live a few more years and die on the cross for our sins so he snuck away from being stoned to death that time but the fact that the authorities tried to stone him to death for blasphemy indicates that they knew exactly what he was saying when he said before abraham was i am he was claiming to be god god in human flesh almighty god from the old testament revealed in bodily form in the new testament God Almighty, God I am. So the first I am statement that we see of Jesus' that we're going to talk about today is in John 8, 58, and he literally says, I am defining himself as God Almighty. Quite the statement to start out with. Someone doesn't go around telling people that they are God Almighty without being able to back it up or be ridiculed out of society. We'll close with C.S. Lewis's trilemma at the end, but that's kind of what C.S. Lewis was saying we really need to pay attention to. Here was a man who defined himself as God as he walked this earth and did things nobody else has ever done. Jesus' next I am statement. Jesus says in John 15, 1, I am the true vine. What he means by that is that he is the source of all we need. In fact, in that very passage, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. He is the vine through which we receive what we need, through which we receive meaning and purpose. And apart from him, we literally can do nothing. He's our sustenance. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and he encourages us to remain planted in the vine, receiving our nourishment and our sap from him so that we can walk out the purpose that he created us for here on this planet. Letting him live his life through us. So John fifteen one, Jesus says, I am the true vine, I am the source for all that you need. Another great statement is in John eight twelve and nine five. Here Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He also says that if you follow him you won't be stumbling through the darkness. Now as you look around society, as you think about all the pain all the tragedy, all the insecurity, all the chaos, all the instability, all these things that epitomize our very fallen, dark world. It's easy to think, what do I do? Where do I go? Who do I follow? How should I act? Those existential questions that all people ask, even if they say that they never think about them, who am I? Why am I here? Where did I come from? How should I act? What's the purpose of my life? Where will I go after I die? Those existential questions, the biggest questions that we'll ever consider, those questions. If I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I have no true answers to those existential questions. I have nothing but subjective possibilities. Oftentimes we will take college students into a cave in the area during our Crush Fear summer projects. And we'll get way back into this cave and we'll turn off all the lights and we'll say, all right, guys, you can't see a thing. There's no light whatsoever. There are a lot of dangerous falls and big jagged rocks in that cave. And we always ask, how many of you would like to try to get out of here without any light? And of course, nobody would even want to try to get out without any light. They couldn't possibly do it. And we say, would your emotions guide you safely out of this cave? And of course, it doesn't matter how you feel about turning right or left or going up or down. None of those feelings are going to do any better to get you out of that cave. You really need light. Regardless of how you feel about the situation, you need light. We say, what would your friend's advice be? be to you right now. How would your friend's advice help you get out of this cave? Of course the friend is just as lost as they are. They're all in the dark. So it doesn't matter what the friend says. They're all in the dark. They couldn't get out of the cave without light. Now it's the same way in life. It doesn't matter how I feel about circumstances and situations, relationships and opportunities. My feelings are subjective and they're often wrong. It doesn't matter what my friends say about all these different things. Of course you can get good advice from friends. But ultimately, if your friend doesn't have the light, they're just as much stuck in the darkness as you are. See, in this world, if I don't have a guiding light, I am really in serious trouble, and I will have no way of answering the biggest questions that I ever have, those existential life questions. But when I have the light, I actually have real objective questions truthful answers to those questions i can live day to day to day in the light not stumbling through the darkness so jesus makes a very bold claim he says in this world we're living in the darkness we are walking in the darkness we're stumbling through the darkness but he says i am the light of the world in other words there's no other light he is the light and if we follow him we do not have to be stumbling through the darkness quite the i am statement from jesus let's go on to number four jesus says i am the good shepherd he said this in john ten eleven, referring to an analogy of sheep we all like sheep have gone astray the bible tells us sheep need a shepherd to guide them to protect them to provide for them to lead them and we all need a shepherd to lead us to protect us to guide us, to provide for us in this life. Jesus says he's the good shepherd. He's not just a shepherd that kind of gets the job done. He doesn't just kind of lead us. He doesn't just kind of provide for us. Jesus is a good shepherd with our best interest in mind, who lovingly puts our good above his own, who leads us and guides us, lays down his life for us even, dying in our place. That's an incredible promise. And when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he really means it. And he backed it up with his very life, his very death, and his resurrection. So Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Number five, Jesus says in John 6, 35 through 48, I am the bread of life. Now think about how important food and water is to you. Sustenance. Without food and water, we're all not going to live very long. If you've ever fasted, especially for longer periods of time, you'll know that pretty quickly you start to realize how desperately you need food. We need food and water to live, and without it, we're in serious trouble. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he's literally saying that he is the sustenance that gives us everything we need for life, and not just physical life, but eternal life. He is the bread of life. Without him, we will starve and die physically and spiritually. He provides for my needs physically. He provides for my needs spiritually. Okay, we've talked about Jesus's first five I am statements. There are 10 of them that we're going to go through today. I'm going to recap those five. First, Jesus said, I am in John 8, 58, referring to Moses' interaction with God Almighty in the Old Testament at the burning bush when God Almighty defined himself as I am. So Jesus makes himself equal with God, defining himself as God, saying I am. In John 15, 1, Jesus says, I am the vine. He is the source for all we need in life. In John 8, 12 through 9, 5, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Recognizing that in this dark world full of chaos and insecurity, Full of unanswered questions, Jesus says, "I am the light, and if you follow me, you won't be stumbling through the darkness." In John ten eleven, Jesus says, "I am the good shepherd. He leads us, he guides us, he provides for us, he protects us." He says in John six thirty five through forty eight that he's the bread of life. He's the sustenance. Through him. We can be nourished both physically and spiritually. He meets my physical needs. He meets my spiritual needs. Those are the first five I am statements that Jesus made. There are five others in the New Testament. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution on KDUR, 91.9 and 93.9 FM in Durango and KDUR.org online. I'm so thankful that you're listening this morning. Well, this morning we're talking about Jesus's I am statements, how he defined himself, what he said about himself. We've talked about the first five. Now we're going to get into the second or the last five of those 10. So number six on this list, Jesus in John ten nine says, I am the door. He is the door that we go through to experience new life and eternal life in fact there is no other door he is the door to all that god has for you jesus actually said in that very passage when he defined himself as the door he said anybody else that claims to be the door is a thief and a liar he was very firm about the reality that he was the only way and that's actually one of the other i am statements that we'll get to in a minute But the reality is that He is the door through which all of us have to enter if we are ever to find God, if we're ever to reach heaven. It is not the case that all roads lead to heaven. It's surely not the case. In fact, that reasoning, that logic wouldn't get you anywhere, anywhere else. If you went to your math class and wrote down whatever you wanted on the problems for a test and turned it in, and your professor graded them wrong, you couldn't possibly say, well, all these different ways of solving math problems will get me to the right solution. They're all just different roads to the same destination. The math professor would say, well, the destination you arrived at is an F because there's one way to do math, not any number of ways to do math. I was a chemistry major in college and same thing with chemistry. If you don't get it exactly right, you get it wrong because there's only one way. You could go down the line but truth is always exclusive it's never pluralistic it's always one way not multiple ways that's how truth is something is either true or false it's not both and the reality is that when jesus says that i am the door the only door and that anybody else that claims to be the door is a thief and a liar he's either correct or wrong in making that statement that's what i have to consider i can't just say oh he's just one other door He's not just another door; he claims to be the only door, and I have to really evaluate that claim. Is he correct in making that claim? Well, that was the sixth i am statement. Let's go to the seventh the seventh, eighth, and ninth are all found in John fourteen six where Jesus says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He makes three i am statements about himself all in that one verse in John fourteen six he also adds to his exclusivistic definition of himself, saying, no one comes to the Father, no one comes to heaven, except through me, I'm the only way. This is a very exclusivistic statement, a lot of people really have trouble with that. Like I described a minute ago, truth is always exclusivistic, mathematics is always exclusivistic, two plus two always equals four, it never equals three, it never equals five. It is always for. The reality is that truth is exclusivistic. Now, a friend of mine puts it this way too. He says, Jesus' message is exclusivistic, but it's for your inclusivistic good. He doesn't make an exclusive claim about himself for exclusive purposes. He does it for inclusive purposes. Now, here's the way my friend states it. He says, If I wanted to invite you to a dinner party, and if I really like you and want you to show up, I'm not going to give you inclusive directions. I'm not going to say, all roads lead to my house. Any turn you take will get you to the destination. They're just different routes. In fact, if I said that, I would know that you'd never make it to my house. And those inclusivistic directions, those pluralistic directions, would never get you to the destination of my house. And if I gave you such inclusivistic, pluralistic directions, it would be evidence that I really didn't want you to arrive at my home. It would be evidence that I didn't really care for you. However, if I really do love you, and if I really do like you, and I really do want you to meet me at my house for a dinner party, I'm going to give you very exclusive directions. I'm going to tell you exactly how to get to my house, which turns to take, at which lights, what streets to go on and how long, where to go, and exactly what time to be there. And if you follow those exclusivistic directions, you'll be included in my dinner party. I hope that kind of clarifies what Jesus is saying here. He's making a very exclusivistic claim, but he's doing so with the purpose of including as many as possible who would trust him and follow him. So the seventh I am statement that Jesus makes is, I am the way, the only way. There is no other way. Next, he says, I am the truth. That fundamental question, what is truth? What is true? What is reality? I can't possibly assume that my five senses are an accurate way to understand reality. Philosophers throughout the ages have noted that there's no way I could ever prove the reliability of my five senses, in that all human knowledge is dependent on their five senses. In other words, there's no way I know or can prove without doubt that I have access to the truth as a finite human being. How do I know what's true? How do I know what's real? Well, I have to follow the truth himself. And Jesus claims to be the truth incarnate okay i am the truth his eighth i am statement his ninth i am statement again in john fourteen six, is i am the life in other words jesus says i am the way for you to experience life both physical life now and eternal life forever jesus actually puts it this way a few chapters earlier he says i've come to give you abundant life life full of meaning and purpose that doesn't mean all your problems will disappear But it does mean that in this life, you'll experience meaning and purpose as God transforms you more and more and more into his own likeness, making you more and more like Jesus, giving you the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Additionally, he promises to give us eternal life. So not just abundant physical life on this planet, but eternal life with him in heaven, life forever. And this is not just yet another claim to eternal life. I was able to have the privilege to preach at my wife's grandmother's graveside service and memorial service last week in California. And I mentioned when I spoke that people throughout all of history have yearned for eternal life. In fact, they've all concocted very elaborate rituals that they thought would grant them eternal life. The Egyptians were famous building pyramids even and stocking them with gold in order to have a prosperous and significant afterlife. People all throughout history have come up with elaborate rituals hoping to achieve the afterlife, hoping to achieve eternal life. But none of those ever guaranteed anything more than just a dead corpse in a pyramid, just a dead corpse buried six feet under the ground. Nothing anybody has ever done led to real eternal life. Then comes Jesus. He lives the perfect life that none of us could ever live. He dies a death that we deserve on the cross. And then he is risen again in the historical evidence for the resurrection is indisputable. Christian apologists all the time mop the floor with atheists that try to deny the evidence for the resurrection. Since we can know with confidence that Jesus rose from the dead, we can believe that he really is what he said he is, true life. And that's his last I am statement. Not just that I am the life, but in john eleven twenty five he says, "I am the resurrection and the life, so he is life, and he is the resurrection. His own death and resurrection proved that he had the authority to promise you that if you trust in him, he will raise you up, giving you eternal life in heaven with him as well. He really will raise you up because he is, in his own words, the resurrection and the life. So let's just recap what Jesus said about himself. he said. I am God, he said, I am the true vine, I am the light of the world, I am the good shepherd, I am the bread of life, I am the door, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and I am the resurrection and the life. Quite profound statements about his own identity. So my question is, who do you think Jesus is? And today I have the incredible privilege of having my daughter Kara in the studio with me. Kara is my beautiful four-year-old redhead. Kara, who do you think Jesus is? Jesus is our Savior. I love Jesus, too. He is good. Thank you for sharing with us, my sweet girl. I believe that you are exactly right. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. And I love him, too. So the question is, who do you think Jesus is? The Bible says that... God loves you with an everlasting love, but that you and I are sinful and separated from God. In other words, my selfishness, my own lack of measuring up to who God is, separates me eternally from him. He's perfect. I'm not perfect. And because he's also perfectly just, he cannot just look the other way when it comes to sin. He actually has to deal with sin. He has to judge it. If he did not, he would not be just. If he was not just, he would not be God. None of us wants to follow a God that is not just. The reality is that he is just, and he had to do something about our sin problem. He didn't just look the way, but being just, he came as a human being. He lived a life here on this earth, God in human flesh, and he died for my sins and yours. That's the greatest news I've ever heard. I am not responsible for my own sin between me and God. He paid for my sins on the cross. The Bible literally tells me he nailed the record against me to the cross. So he paid for my sins and yours so that anyone who would put their faith and trust in him, anyone who would receive his gift of salvation, receiving him as Savior and Lord, could be adopted into his family, could be forgiven, could be guaranteed an abundant life on this planet and an eternity with him in heaven after this life. Well, that's my question. Who do you think Jesus is? Are you going to accept his offer? Are you going to say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. I put my faith and trust in you. I receive your gift of forgiveness. I ask you to be my Savior and Lord. If you're ready to take that step right now, why wait another minute? You could do that right now, putting your faith and trust in him through prayer. You could say, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are. Today we Read these I am statements and I believe that they really do define you. I believe you are who you say you are. And I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again to give me new life and eternal life. Today I ask you to forgive me, to save me, and to come into my life as my Savior and Lord. I trust you. I will follow you. Make me the kind of person that you want me to be. The Bible says if you put your faith and trust in him this morning, you've been adopted into his family. And you can have confidence that you'll live with him forever in heaven after you die. That's an incredibly, incredibly encouraging thing to know. Now, if you're not ready to take that step, I would ask you to consider C.S. Lewis's trilemma. This is his famous trilemma. He says, as we consider all that Jesus said of himself, we have to conclude that he was either a liar. If he said those things about himself and he knew they weren't true, he'd be lying or a lunatic, if he said those things about himself and he was misguided, he was obviously crazy because who says that about himself? Or he was really what he said he was, Lord. He was either liar, lunatic, or Lord. There are no other options. He wasn't just a good teacher. He was either liar, lunatic, or Lord. C.S. Lewis then concludes that we can't possibly say someone of his significance was a liar or a lunatic. His impact on the world was far too profound to come to those conclusions. So we have to conclude he was literally who he said he was, Lord. I leave you with that this morning and ask you to consider his claims and to come to him as Savior and Lord. Definitely don't miss next week's show. We're going to be having Dr. Norm Geisler and Jason Jimenez on the show. It'll be exciting. Also, please join us this week at Connect, Tuesday at 6 p.m. You can meet at the bus stop or Thursday at Jones 140 at 6 p.m. Also, go to godsolutionshow.com and see a list of local churches that you could visit. I would encourage you to visit one this morning. It'd be a great way to grow in your faith. And I guess as we wrap up this show, I've got to say happy Valentine's Day, a day late to my very beautiful, sweet wife, Erin Joy. You are the joy of my life, and I'm so glad that God has given you to me and given us three children to parent together and a ministry to lead together. I love you. and I am so thankful for you. Happy Valentine's Day. Finally, like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. And that's my hope, that you'll find him this morning if you haven't already. And if you do know him, I pray that you would grow closer to him than ever before. Thanks so much for listening. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon.